promise. A solemn promise to a deity or to keep a promise. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Father, I just truly enjoyed your presence in the worship this morning. Amazing. You visit us. You're just so faithful to visit and to feed hungry souls. I so rejoice that all that you will never leave us nor forsake us. You just won't do it. You just are always there. That all your promises are yes and amen. So thank you, Father. You're such a faithful God. That your oath in the new covenant is steadfast and secure that you have made a solemn promise to us and you will perform it. That your Holy Spirit is living inside of us and guiding us into all truth. Thank you, Father. All truth. I'm sorry for the times I take my eyes off the truth, Father. Forgive me. I put it upon you, Jesus, the Christ, the living one, truth. I ask, Father, that you'd open our hearts here today, that you would stir up, help us, that you would stir up the gift in each one of us to do what you'd have us to do. And I thank you for it, Father. Now, I want to speak against the evil one. So I take the authority, Father, that you gave me in Jesus Christ, and I tell you, devil, you get on your side of the line. Right on the other side of that street over there. And you just stay over there. You have no part here. And Father, I ask for that anointing of the Holy Spirit to be upon each one of us. That our eyes would be open. Our ears would hear. And our hearts would be circumcised to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying today. And I ask for an anointing today to be a conduit. A great big tin whistle, if you will, Father, through which you may flow and speak to every person here, that they would hear what you're saying and not what I'm saying. I ask it and I pray it and I believe it because of your covenant in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 A solemn appeal to a deity, an oath to keep a promise. The covenant. Here's I got this out of the Catholic Encyclopedia because it was just so good. A solemn promise fortified. This is what a covenant is. A solemn promise fortified by an oath concerning future action. What a great description. My scripture that I want to start with today is coming out of Matthew, the 20th chapter, and verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Let him be your servant. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, people were led by men and women who had a God calling on their life. Who of you today, who of us, would confess that we have a God? Don't, I don't want to see hands because there may be some of you who wouldn't raise it. You have a God calling on your life. 
I'm telling you, as a minister of the gospel, you have a God calling on your life. So in the Old Testament, I have to admit I gleaned some of this from uh, from Regent University. I know Regent University is. Yeah, I gleaned this. But in the Old Testament, the common way to leadership was through mentoring. It was the mentor to the mentee in a relationship such as Elijah, Elisha, or maybe Moses, Joshua. All through the Old Testament, this was God's plan that the mentee would receive this spirit of prophecy and Holy Spirit through the anointing that was in the mentor when he took over. It's kind of just how it goes. There were a few that maybe it didn't come that way. And, and I have to be honest with you, when I, came, when I figured this out years and years ago, I was so disappointed because, see, I had this idea. I, forgive me, but I had this idea that, you know, the calling of God was like this. You're going along one day and zap. <laughs> he got you with a lightning bolt. And now all of a sudden you're this man of God, man, woman of God that walk under the anointing of the Holy Spirit and, and you would just have all these giftings and all this, you'd have all the words you need to speak. And then I found out it's through mentor, mentee. Basically, God gave prophets, priests, and he ended up giving kings. They were not his original idea who could serve as judges and guides into his kingdom. Priests, let's talk about them a little bit. Isaiah 66, 21, it says this. All my scriptures will be New King James Version unless I note otherwise, okay? Isaiah 66, 21. And I will also take some of them for priests and Levites, says the Lord. I will take some of them for priests and Levites. Now, in Judaism... I think about every male was considered a priest who, who came up. That's just the way it was. So I went to the New Testament to read about the Old Testament. Isn't that how you do it? <laughs> Hebrews 5, fifth chapter, verses 1 through 4. And this is, I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifice, sacrifices for their sin. Did you hear that? Every high priest is a man chosen by God to represent other people in their dealings with God. Verse 2. And he is able to deal gently with, ign with ignorant and wayward people. Anybody want to wave their hand? <laughs> because he himself is, is subject to the same weaknesses. Yes and amen. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor. He must be called by God for this work. And then it says, which is something just amazing, just as Aaron was. 
didn't know I was in there, kind of, when I read it. <laughs> Not just as Aaron was, so I thought, well, how is Aaron called? I will say this. Listen carefully. Callings are not like we think they would be many, many times. Callings are not like we would think they would be many, many times. Aaron's calling. Moses' brother. Remember, he was his brother. And I would say, for I set this, start talking about this, only God. Only God. And I want to make this distinction. There's a, dis, a, a vast difference between a calling and an ordination. We're going to do an ordination today. Okay? Aaron's calling. Moses' brother. So, here we are. We're uh, back out on the backside of the desert again with Moses. And he's on the mountain. And he's on the mountain because there's a bush burning and it's not being consumed. And so he said, well, I'm going to go see what, the, what in the world this is. And so he wanders over there. How old is he? 80. So he wanders over there, and he gets up close to this bush, and God tells him what? Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And then he proceeds to show him. He says, throw down your staff, and it turns into a serpent. Stick your hand in your chest here and pull it out, and it's leprous. Put it back in, and it's not. He starts doing miracles. And he shows him all this. And then what is Moses' response when he tells him to go to the uh, Israelites in Egypt? Nope. Not going. So what does God do? What does God do? He gets angry with him. Exodus, the fourth chapter, verses 14 through 17. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, and Chris, here's why I want you to know that what you had to say up there was so called of God. Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? Yep. I know he can speak well. He knows him. And look, he's coming out to meet you. He knows where he's at. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. He knows if you're happy or sad. Guys, he knows our coming and our going, our ins and our outs, our feelings and our angers, our shortcomings. He knows. So if you're sitting here today and think he doesn't know where you're at, what's going on in your life, how that dark devil is trying to depress you break you down and hurt you, don't think that for a second. He knows. He knows. And he is the light giver, and he's bringing light into your darkness even today. Hear me. He's bringing light into your darkness today. So let's read it again. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well, and look, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Verse 15, now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and, I, and with his mouth, and I'll teach you what you should do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you 
and you shall be to him as God, and shall take his rod, this rod in your hand, which you shall do the signs. Aaron's calling for Moses' refusal was for Moses' refusal. Forgive me. <laughs> Aaron's calling for Moses' refusal to do what God asked. That was Aaron's calling. And what did he call him? He called him a mouth. He called him a mouth. He said, and he himself shall be as a mouth. Anybody want to be called a mouth? I will say this. It's what he calls all of us to be. We're all to use the voice God's given us for God's glory. We're all to hear him and speak what he says. And he says he must be called by God for this work just as Aaron was. So let's look at a moment what Aaron's track record was. Do you remember what Aaron accomplished? He was called of God, this great man of God. Let me see. He fashioned a golden calf at the foot of the mountain when Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, his sons blasphemed God with impure offerings, Leviticus 10, 1 through 7, kind of just like Moses' sons. They weren't always on that up and up. Aaron actually led, Aaron actually led a revolt against Moses. Numbers 12, 1 through 8. Track record. But before we get all down on Aaron, we've got to remember, who held up Moses' hands so they could beat the Amalekites? Aaron and her. Who helped Moses lead all that bunch of, I want to call them good people, <laughs> through the wilderness? Who helped him? It was Aaron. Aaron was there. He was faithful to Moses all those years. You just, Aaron the mouth. <laughs> just something to think about, isn't it? God's calling is not like we would think it would be. Let's look at another one. I want to look at King David's because his, his anointing is more my type of calling. This is what we'd all like to think. First Samuel, the 16th chapter, verses 11 through 13. And Samuel has come to Jesse, and God's told him that one of his sons is going to be anointed king. And so he's come, and he's gone through all Eliab and all of them and, and looked through them. He says, says this, verse 11, And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. There he is keeping the sheep. It's kind of like he was standing up there at the capital looking over at the bluff on the other side. See that guy over there on the hill over there keeping the sheep? That's, that's the last one over there. Yeah. Another story about why that's happening. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, Samuel the prophet, for we will not sit down till he comes. And so he sent and brought him in, and now he was ready with bright eyes and good looking. Oh, I wish. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Arise, anoint him. This is the one. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. In the midst of his brothers. little brotherly love going on here now. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Well, the prophet got his job done. Off he went. <laughs> Off he went. And David went back to sheep. But you see, this was the day the trouble began. I believe the day that the Spirit of God anointed David, it left King Saul. And that day forward, Saul became a real problem for David. And David spent much of his early years in full retreat running from Saul. And I believe this. It's how it is when we step into our calling. When we step into our calling, the trouble begins. Yep, the devil sees it. He starts his normal stuff. How many of you would say he's a bad devil? He's a bad devil. He hates, he steals, he kills, and he destroys. What a great track record. I want to do one more calling uh, before we get away from that. I want to call Deborah. Everybody know Deborah? The prophet? The judge? Amazing story, but... We're just going to touch on it here. Deborah's calling, judge and prophetess of Israel. Judges, the fifth chapter, verses 6 and 7. Judges, the fifth chapter, verses 6 and 7. And again, I'm going back to the New Living Translation because it's a little easier to understand. Verse 6. And in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, they were the ones guiding Israel in those days, People avoided the main roads, and travelers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as mother of Israel. God called Deborah, and she became a judge, and the days of prosperity returned to Israel in those days. It's an amazing thing. And I will say this before I leave Deborah. Many writers have tried very hard to diminish Deborah's calling. Because you see, the Hebrews are kind of, we call them sexist. Is that the word we use today? But they did. They minimized her calling. And they tried to obscure what she accomplished. But she was a great judge in Israel. And I will say this to each and every one of you with your calling. There is no small calling in God's kingdom. Whatever God's called you to do, it's not a small thing. It's a great thing. And it will be remembered how long? Forever. What God calls us to is remembered forever. What man calls us to, not so much. <laughs> anyway, no prophet anointed her. No priest anointed her. She was just called, and she answered. Her calling, mother 
of Israel. Such a small sampling of callings. Such a small sampling. But, you know, I skipped over Noah, Moses, Joseph, Solomon, Isaiah, Jonah, Abraham, Rahab, Esther, Gideon, Samson, Samuel, and many others. Don't have time. Every one of them different. Even some of them seem random. Our callings just don't come like they think we think they would. But God calls exactly who he desires to the jobs he has for the work of the ministry. Let's look at Aaron's ordination. Remember, I made a difference between callings and ordination. We're going to go over to Exodus. Remember it said in Hebrews 5.4, just as Aaron was? Well, here it is. Here's the, the ordination, not the calling. We talked about that. Hebrews, or is Exodus, the 28th chapter, verses 40 through 43. There are three steps in the ordination of a priest. And I want you to understand, this is for Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. Everybody knows who Nadab and Abihu is, right? They were the sons of Aaron. The ones who offered up the strange fire. Okay, here we go. Verse 40. For Aaron's sons, you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them, for glory and beauty. So shall you put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests, and you shall make for them linen trousers, we call them shorts today, to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from their waist to their thighs, that they, sh they shall be on Aaron and his sons when they come into the tabernacle meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, that they do not incur iniquity and die. It shall be a state forever to him and his descendants after him, just as Aaron was. Amazing portion of scripture. To anoint them, representing the anointing of Holy Spirit and their continual reliance upon him and his authority and the power to consecrate them. That literally is to the filling of their open hands that they may have all the perfect equipment that they may perform the ministry God has assigned to them. So we're going to anoint them, we're going to consecrate them, consecrate them, and then we're going to sanctify them, literally to make clean spiritual and moral separation from all that may defile. Quite a process to anoint God's called people in an ordination. Let's look at the New Testament real quick. Under the New Testament, all leadership really changed. Changed everything. The priesthood of the believer. Everybody knows what that is? You don't have to. Remember in Hebrews what it said? You went to the high priest for him to deal with God for you so you could make your request known. Priesthood of the believers. Who talks to God? Amen? Who has authority to say to Jesus, I need help? New covenant, guys. New covenant of grace. New covenant of mercy given to us. Wow. It's all changed. 
It's now servant leadership. Matthew, the 20th chapter, we're going to go back to my original scripture, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself, it says, and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. Who would say amen to that? The rulers of the Gentile lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Boy, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Wow. Is that a change from the Old Testament or what? The words that jump out at me are servant, slave, to serve, and give your life as a ransom. The ministry is appointed by God. It's appointed by God. Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. We're going to call the four or five-fold ministry, depending on how you look at it, to the church. And he he himself... Ephesians 4.11, and he himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. These are gifts Jesus has given in today's church, as well as to those before us. Who knows, if we don't understand the equippings and the working of God in this life, it's so very difficult to operate in it. We have to have guidance in our, our going. Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth, but boy, it's what Jesus has provided the church. And if we don't know and understand it, you know, I want to say this about this. I want to honor Gary and Kristen because of what they did. They came to Jefferson City, brand new pastors, never pastored before in their life, and they started a brand new church. They didn't have anybody mentoring or menteeing them here, and they started this church. And they spent many years of their life building this church. They were the tip of a spear. And if there ever was uh, probably a, a good guide or a, a kind of a good description of an apostle, that's kind of it. When you go and start a brand new work like that, you're sent out. And lots of people call them missionaries. But they did a, a mighty work here. You see, in the truest sense of the word of Scripture, to appoint anyone to, into the ministry is only in the authority of Jesus. No man can appoint anyone into the ministry, nor can any man take a man out of the ministry. They don't have that authority. He is the one who appoints to any office. He is the one who appoints to any office. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28, Paul calls these appointed offices. 27, now you are the body of Christ. Now you are the body of Christ, 
and members individually. Verse 28, And God appointed these in the church, appointed as Tithome, to put or set in place. First, the apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. After that, miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. It's giftings for the church. It's what God gifted us with. Apostles or prophets today are a little different. Amen, Brother Pat? They're a little different. They're to build up the body of Christ. They are to speak words about things. They do see the future. It's just a gift. They are a mouth for God. Prophets. Evangelists, they go around. I, man, they are lit on fire with the gospel of Christ. They go around. All they want to do is see people saved, man. Get them in the kingdom. Let these, let these giftings, all these miracles come, and it'll show everybody that Jesus is who he said he is. And here they come. And then the last one, it says, are pastors and teachers. Now, this is where there's a little differing of opinion. Some people think pastor-teacher is one one ministry. And here's what I say. I'm going to use empirical evidence, what I've seen. I have seen some teachers who have little to no gifting to be a pastor. Is that true? But I don't think I've ever seen a pastor who didn't have a gifting for a teacher. So I believe, my opinion, is teachers is a big set with a subset being pastors. They are two offices. That's my opinion. And you know what we can say about that? Jesus will sort this all out when we get there. <laughs> it's the truth. But our charge here today, our charge, is to acknowledge what I believe God has already done and appointed. Frank Chapman has been called into the ministry. And I would like today for him to come forward. Because you see, what we do and say is important, but it pales in, in comparison to what Jesus has already done and what Frank has agreed to do. Frank, come on up here. And I want, would like to call the body of Christ to gather around him. And we're going to pray for him or